Hello and thanks for joining us for the first ever episode of the Alternative London podcast. I'm your host, Gary Means. So in this episode, I sat down with community leader, Chrissy Nicholson. Chrissy is well known in the East London community as one of the founders of the East End Trades Guild. Now, as this podcast is about the culture, creativity and community of East London, I honestly couldn't think of a more fitting person to have as our first guest. So, here it is, our first episode with Chrissy Nicholson. Oh, that's real good. So, here we go. Hey, Chrissy, thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to the Alternative London podcast. For those that don't know you, you run the East End Trades Guild, amongst many other things. Um, Can you just tell us kind of what the Trades Guild is? Sure. The East End Trades Guild is an alliance of over 350 small independent businesses, self-employed people, so social enterprises and charities all working together for the common good of the neighbourhood. 350. My goodness. I think when we first, well, when I first met you, it was almost a decade ago now, and um, I'd heard about the Trades Guild and I thought, that's like something I need to get involved with. Um, the area was experiencing a lot of changes and um, the Trades Guild seemed like a way for us, for the community and for small businesses to kind of stand up to um, bigger businesses, basically. Um, but around that time, there was probably maybe 30 or 40 members. So it's absolutely amazing that it's, um, that it's come, come so far. Tell us about like the early days of it and, and where it is now. Well, the genesis of it really, oh, I don't know, there's so many, there are so many reasons for it um, coming into being. But I read a blog about a fourth generation paper bag seller in a blog called Spitterfield's Life, um, which is written by the dental author. Well, I think he just started blogging and I was really intrigued. The blogger has a very exceptional way of telling stories that really captures the imagination and inspires you to act. And that's really what happened to me. So I read about this intriguing fourth generation paper bag seller called Paul Gardner, who had a shop on Commercial Road. And if you'd ever seen the shop, it's something akin to the old curiosity shop, something from a Dickens novel. Like it was, well, it still is, but it's in a different place. It was full festooned full of paper and stickers and bags and there was no order or rhyme or anything to it so you could see these these pictures of Paul in his shop on the blog and the story was that the landlord wanted to put up the rent so high all in one go that it would have put Paul out of business but because of the skill of the gentle author in in kind of sharing narrative the local outcry was so huge that the landlord actually relented and agreed to a more gradual rent increase. So the rent still went up, but it went up slower. And that was quite a significant achievement from really somebody putting pen to paper or, you know, typing out some words that had an effect on a, on the temporal world. And I just wanted to know more. So, yeah, it inspired me to take action to go and meet Paul in his shop and have a kind of one-on-one conversation. And the one-to-one is a tool it sounds so simple but it is actually a a community organizing tool and at the time i was studying community organizing at queen mary university so that's 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 where it started for me Ah, okay 
Yeah, so there was always the kind of the affordable rent. And that's something that's a big, a big issue in the East End of London, not just for individuals and families, but for small businesses. Because like you say, with, with someone like Paul Gardner, and I think it's really important as well, because he is part of the fabric of the guild and businesses like Paul's were kind of part of that cultural tapestry of the East End of London. And the reason I started doing the tours around here is because there's nowhere else I know of in the world that has that cultural fabric in the way that we have it in the East End of London. And I always knew that when those things go, they're gone forever. They don't come back. So it's not just about putting a a glass lid over the East End of London and say, protect it at all costs. It's about saying, how do we drive the necessary change forward, but include the people that are a big part of this area and its story in that change moving forward. So with the, with the affordable rent, that has come a really long way over the years, hasn't it? And actually, I think maybe uh, in the early days of the Guild, I was a bit gung-ho activist. I was like, right, let's all stop paying tax until the big guys do it. Let's. Um, and I remember going to meetings with you like in the mayor's office with ideas of like big demands. And you always seemed a bit more tempered, a bit more softly, softly approach. And uh, and I can now finally see where where that is all kind of heading. I mean, partly because of the work that I've done on myself and I've got a bit older and changed my outlook, but also because things are actually happening now like the affordable rent that you've been working on for years. And I can see the, the fruits of that years of, of labour. So where, where is that at now? Well, that's very good of you to say. I think perhaps the softly, softly approach is maybe slightly misunderstood. Because... Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. You are a force <laughs> to be reckoned with. I mean, yeah, don't, I mean... No, 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 no. I'm, but what, let me explain myself. What I mean is that I don't think it's really anything to do... Well, it has something to do with me, but it's more about the people power. So you illustrated it earlier. So you said at the beginning there was about 30 members. Yeah. And now there's 350. And so now we're taken seriously, not me, Chrissy Nicholson, but the East End Trades Guild yeah. is taken seriously as a powerful organisation that can wield power because it's not just those 350 businesses, it's those 350 businesses and their employees and their neighbours and their friends and their suppliers who are all voters and, you know, people together have power, yeah. people on their own don't. And that's really the premise of why we got together. And that's what I was studying at Queen Mary and that's why I went to speak to Paul because I wanted to try and try these things out um, and I stuck with it because you can't be taken seriously if you're if you don't have commitment and you don't have ambition. But to answer your question, where are we now with affordable rent? We're still very, very, very far away from where we need to be. So you know, if we're going to if we're going to get further, we definitely need more members. We definitely need more people power. We need more active members of the guild to step up and support the work that we're doing because it's not about one charismatic kind of leader type thing it's about yeah. lots of leaders lots of yeah. people pulling together but we have made some some changes where where we've been able to and some of those things have been within Hackney's local plan I mean, this is very boring it's very very boring 
<laughs> it's not kind of like dramatic changes, but small changes are still changes, right? So within Hackney's local plan, they reduced the market, uh, the, the definition of affordable from 80% of market rent um, to 60% in Hackney and even lower down to 40% in Shoreditch because the prices are much higher in Shoreditch. So any new developments have to be half what they were previously in terms of what affordable is. Um, it, with um, through working with the Spitals Neighbourhood Planning Forum, we've been able to do the same as well. So reduce and define the affordable. It's still as a percentage of market, which I still have a bit of a problem with, mm-hmm. um, but it's a lot less. So down from 80 to 45%, um, provided that businesses send off their, their voter registration forms and actually turn out um, on, on voting day on the 11th of November, if you're listening in Spitterfields. Yeah, if this goes out before then, then we'll, we definitely need um, all businesses that are in Spitalfields to to vote on this because this has been in, in the pipeline and been working on for years now. And to let it go just because you don't do the vote would be would be a real a real shame. Um, just one thing that you touched on there when you said it's all really boring. Well, yeah, I think that's part of the point, though, isn't it? It's part of the point that when people run a small business, they've got enough on their plate. They, were, they don't want to take on more sort of boring stuff. They don't want to deal with councils. They don't want to deal with the nitty gritty of it. Um, so it's so important that there is a guild there that's willing to take up that work and willing to say, OK, this might be boring, but it's really bloody important and we need to do this. Um, and I think that's, the, that's part of the crux of the guild, isn't, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many leaders within the Guild who actually run their own business and are active within the Guild as well. So I'd like to give a big shout out to Dee O'Connell from the Breakdown Palace, from Paul and his son, uh, Rob Gardner from Gardner's Bags, Sabi Hamir from Juta Shoes, Maha Anjum from Otija Collective, Tasnima Uden, who's a community organiser with us at the Guild, she's a relatively new hire, which is very exciting. She's a very uh, bright young woman. Jacqueline Stray is also an organiser. I mean, there are just, the list goes on. Um, It's very much a team effort. But I think one of the, the more exciting things that will hopefully be a more meaningful shift towards fairer, more equitable stewardship of land, which is really the crux of the thing, right? So what we want to do is for landlords who um, are serious about helping recovery to um, voluntarily take up a badge of honour and be accredited. So there's like a landlord um, accreditation system. And the reason we think that some landlords will want to have this is because actually small business tenants have more choice now. Um, And so it's more of a tenant's market. And so if we can say, well, this landlord um, agrees to have a tenant steering group and agrees to meet with that steering group every six months and agrees to decide with the tenants on what form of affordability a percentage of their units will take. Then we kind of help what the government has started with their code of practice, the code of conduct for small businesses um, through the pandemic. Um, We can kind of help make that a bit more meaningful and kind of tie that into a system. We also think that landlords would want to take this up because... A lot of them are backed by big investment companies. Yep. 
And those big investment companies have corporate and social responsibility obligations. And so if they want to fulfill those corporate and social responsibility obligations and actually support recovering communities that they invest in, then hopefully they can see this badge of honour as a way to do that. We know that Sadiq Khan is behind this idea because we talked to him about it when he came down to visit us um, at Spitterfield's farm just before the election. And we're following up with him uh, before the end of the year. I think he can see the potential in it and that's why he's quite excited about it. The other thing that we want to do, which has kind of been a long-term labour of love, which obviously we're going to make happen, (laughs) is a small business-led community land trust. We do it for housing. You know, we've just got to do this for, for, for workspace as well. It would fix so many problems, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think for the first time in a very long time, it's not like small businesses hold all the cards when it comes to being tenants, but we have a card for the first time. We're actually sat at the table now um, because before it was totally out of control and we were just waiting for you know, to get kicked out of, you know, every every space that Alternative London has, we've been either kicked out or priced out because of development. And um, there's only so long that small businesses can can sort of sustain that. Just sort of going back to the, the Guild and the time over the pandemic as well, because the main work of the Guild is to affect positive change and to level the playing field. But during the lockdown, it really dawned on me that one of the things the Guild has done is to bring the small business community and the community at large together. It was such a difficult time for us, but seeing the camaraderie in the WhatsApp group and people offering advice and yourself offering help and support and sort of going through all the nitty gritty of the funding and these things when, you know, some of our heads were all over the place just trying to stay afloat. And there was that support group there and that really meant so much. So thank you from me but I think also on behalf of everyone like that runs a small business that had that support network because it made me feel you know not like I do so often when you're in problems with a small business that you're alone and when you see other people sort of coming together and then you can offer other people little bits of help as well and um, and I think that's such a a big part of the guild now it is the the skill sharing it's the community that it's built up and yeah, that must be something that you can sort of reflect on really positively, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, God, definitely. I was thinking about so many things as you were saying that. So I really appreciate you saying that. It definitely warms the cockles. <laughs> <laughs> There's a phrase going around at the moment called the solidarity economy. And I feel that we were at the Guild really ahead of the time sure. with regards to that. Yeah. And it is about trying to get rid of this neoliberal hegemony um, and trying to help people grow together um, for themselves but for each other and for the community and for the neighbourhood rather than kind of wealth being extracted by the big businesses. Also as well, like for an organisation of its size and complexity, it's also kind of surprising that there's a certain harmony and a nice sort of tone and culture that you've managed to cultivate in the Guild over the years. You've made it very inclusive, you've made a real effort to bring in people from all different parts of the of the community, which is, you know, this, this community is so diverse and you've really tried to represent that in the Guild. Where do you think that leadership quality in you came from? Because it seems very innate. It doesn't seem learned. It seems like you're a very natural leader. 
No, he's definitely learned and I'm still learning. That's, again, really, really nice of you to say, Gary. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Just came here to math. <laughs> no, but I think, do you know what? Actually, a, a serious part of this as well, Chrissy, is that like you do all this work behind the scenes and you could be just doing a job. You could be doing anything else, but you're not. You're doing this and you're putting your heart and soul into it. And um, yeah, just occasionally, I think it is important that people stop and, and, and thank you for that and give you recognition for that. Um, it is important. But anyway, go sorry, what were you saying about being, being a leader? I really didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing when I started this. <laughs> And I lacked a lot of confidence, um, suffered a lot of anxiety. I still get anxiety, but I'm much more on top of it now. But it really is to do with training and experience. And I guess what we were talking about earlier about people kind of being isolated and having that feeling that they're not alone. I think that's probably one of the drivers for me because I brought up my son in London as a single parent. And so without wanting to admit it, I think I was very lonely and I think I was very isolated and I think I found it really, really hard. But I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to say that because that doesn't fit the narrative. It doesn't fit the neoliberal ideal, right? You're not, you're not failing. You can't be doing badly or be vulnerable in any way. Mm -hmm. And so it was when I started organising and learning about community organising at university and with Citizens UK that I started to see that I could be an active asset to the community literally just through building relationships literally just through going to see people and listening to their stories and the whole guild has been a massive epic learning curve that I'm still on and it really has been the members that have have taught me how to be a leader and organising, the craft of organising is really undervalued, but it places a lot of emphasis on relationship building, on leadership through listening. Yeah. And um, I'm still learning how to kind of do that better all the time. But I did do leadership training and I did do community organising training. But I do find it really difficult to tell people what to do. And I still find that difficult, but I'm getting better at it. I just wanted to mention as well your your father, your your dad, because I never met him, but um, the things that you've posted about him, it seems like he was a phenomenal campaigner, another force to be reckoned with, um, with issues of social justice too. Um, I'm sure he's really proud of you and what you've dedicated yourself to. Um, do you feel that you're sort of maybe trying to carry on his legacy. For those of you who don't know anything about your dad, by the way, do you want to just sort of talk about who he was and what, what he did? Uh, I guess some quarters would call him a champagne socialist. <laughs> so, uh, Aren't we all? He, oh, I wish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was a champagne salesman by, the, by trade first, so right. that was the family business. And then he got married and he became a worker priest. It's through his faith that he became really interested in issues of social justice and did a lot of work with homeless people. Um, then he set up the family budget unit to research minimum income standards. And that was really the precursor to the living wage. Wow. 
and he set up Zacchaeus 2000, which is um, a charity that supports um, people on low income. So it does a lot of casework. It also um, does a lot of uh, parliamentary um, policy work. And when he died, he was running at Taxpayers Against Poverty, um, and not a charity, a, a, um, a campaign group. Zacchaeus was a charity, but TAP was not a charity because he wanted to criticise the government. The day after he died, he was due to go and beg outside number 10 wow. um, as a protest um, on homelessness. My goodness. So right up until the really the very last breath, he was dedicating his life to other people. Wow, that really is amazing. Um, it's kind of hard to move on from something <laughs> like that now. But um, yeah, just sort of coming back to to the present day, I suppose, the the rate and scale of development in the East End right now is truly breathtaking. Wherever you look, um, developments that are either going up or about to go up with the Goods Yard um, development green-lighted last year and the Truman Brewery shopping mall just being granted planning permission despite the fact that I think it was over 7,000 people wrote letters to oppose it and only 80-odd wrote letters in support, and it still went ahead. I mean, what what hope do we have, or do you have, for the East End? I've got a tremendous amount of hope. All the best things have come out of the East End, right? If we think about the Chartist movement, a lot of that happened here. A lot of the radicals throughout history, there's just a hotbed of radical history that, you know, there's a fertile soil here that have, have shown us that actually when people organise, they get together, they build their power, that things can change. You know, the suffragettes have shown us that. And I, I think actually, even though those things are happening, the pandemic has pushed open a window. And in one sense, it's kind of accelerating the neoliberal urgency to build because they fucking know that they can't keep getting away with it because they know that everyone else knows that there's a window here where yeah. things aren't going to go back quite yeah. the same that they ever were. Yeah. And so they're just kind of rushing things through. But I think there is a huge opportunity to change the culture of, as I said earlier, kind of land stewardship. And I'm very hopeful that we can do that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the pandemic has opened up this little window of hope it's this little glimmer of light that came out of it. But um, but I think pre-pandemic as well, like you were talking about the the, the history of, of activism in this area. And I suppose because of its geographic location, the East End always has felt to me like the front line between like the extremes of late capitalism, if you can call it that, and this sort of cultural, creative, forward-thinking area that's kind of um, trying to take um, the future in a slightly different direction, you know. So there's, um, yeah, it kind of, it feels like there's always been that sort of battleground in the East End of London. It feels like there's always going to be a fight here, doesn't it? It feels like people are all, it kind of feels like the people in the East End have done brilliant things, but that's very rarely recognised because the people in power um, just don't really get it and they don't have the best interests of the East End or the people of the East End at heart. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think what you've illustrated there is is a kind of different types of power. So there's the, the money power, which is where, you know, all the development comes in. There's the state power, which is influenced by the money power. But where's the people power? Exactly. So we've got 350 members. Yep. It's not bad. But we need, a, we need shit ton more members. Yeah. And we also, we need to, we need those members who share the common interests that we have. So we take action on the issues that our members have in common. So we listen to people, we find out what people care about. And then the thing that most of the people care about are the things that we do stuff about. So yeah. rent was an issue before the pandemic. It's even more of an issue now. Um, we're trying to level up and 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 become even more ambitious and do more stuff. But we need more members. And also we want to be independent like our members, right? So we want to be, we have this kind of dues-based union model where people join to be a member so that we can be more powerful, so that we can take that effective action. But we just need more power. We need more members. We need to organise our money. We need to get this shit done. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, from my point of view, also seeing some large companies moving out. I mean, the space that we are in right now, recording this, a large company has moved out and an independent has moved in. And that's happening around this area, again, for the first time. Um, so I feel that there is there is a bit of hope. And also, when so many people come together to campaign against things, whether we win or lose, um, I think having that collective voice is something that gives us hope. And I, I read recently that... Um, a certain amount of corruption is there at plain sight so that it seems too insurmountable to challenge it. So they keep a certain amount of like these things there. So we think, oh, God, we can't fight that. We can't possibly take on these big guys. But, but um, Yeah, I mean, we are definitely. I think you just have to be in it. You have to have a long view. You just have to. Yeah. Because short-termism is the plague of our culture, really, isn't it? It's a plague yeah. of our politics the plague of of our economics like everything so like yeah for me it's just it's, it's got to be about my grandkids and and creating a better world you know doing better for them for me like legacy can be a bit lofty sometimes mm. but i mean because like what what can one person really do i mean my dad god rest his soul he had to show off didn't he and like <laughs> you know, have this huge kind of legacy, but... Hard act to follow. But, you know, he also came from a very privileged background and um, the door was open for him from the get-go. What's important for me is, like, how do we open the doors so that loads of different people can step through and build that collective legacy? Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, like I say, it's, it's amazing to be part of a platform that's sort of creating that. Before we finish up, um, we were talking before we started recording about uh, Small Business Saturday. So for people that aren't aware of Small Business Saturday, sort of when and what is it? When can people get involved? How can people get involved? So um, we did try and sort of do our own thing, our own version of Small Business Saturday. And I would encourage people to continue to kind of do their own thing. But the good thing about Small Business Saturday is it's just a big brand thing that's national. It's a good wave to kind of jump on. Yeah. Um, lots of people make a noise about it. And I think this year the noise will be particularly loud because it's about recovery and helping small businesses to support their community. So um, it's the first Saturday of December, which this year will be the 4th of December. Um, the Guild will be distributing our maps 
again. Each year, we didn't do it last year because of lockdown, but each year we make a map of all of our members and we distribute 100 to each member. So this year will be over 350,000 maps distributed across East London. And that will help the discerning (laughs) consumer find out where all the best things are happening, where to buy their Christmas presents, where it will count the most. Yeah, I think we can all be quite lazy in our consumerism these days, but it is really important to to be discerning sometimes. It is really important to make sure that we're putting our money back into the community, that we're giving it to people that are actually um, creating jobs, paying tax, you know, doing those old-fashioned things (laughs) that that some guys seem to have forgotten about. Um, What would you say to anyone... Um, thinking of starting a movement like the Guild or any kind of sort of... Do it! Yeah. Because people now will look up to people like you or the, or the Guild. In other cities in, in the UK or in other small towns and places, people will look towards the Guild as a way... I think just, like, relationships are key. Like I, like I said at the beginning, I didn't have any confidence. I had some privilege. You know, I'm a white, middle-class woman... I'm going to be treated differently to other people because of the way they speak and the way that the colour of my skin. So I had that privilege afforded me, but I didn't really have much else. Um, and But the, the thing that really sustains the Guild is relationships. And so finding interesting people and you think, ah, oh, I think I would really relate to that person. That person's got a really interesting background. I want to know more. Like Paul from Gardener's Bags, like the gentle author, like build those relationships with people not because they're like going to make you look good or whatever, but because you think you might want to work with them and just keep building those relationships, keep having those one-to-one conversations because that's literally that, that is the, the spark that breathes life that still sustains the guild 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, like I said before, Chrissy, um, everyone really appreciates the work that you do. And this podcast is about East, and culture, creativity, and community, and I just, yeah, I don't think there's many people more qualified to talk about the uh, the community, particularly from a, a business perspective and the sort of culture of the East End. So um, I really, really appreciate you coming on and um, and talking to me. Thank today. you for letting me waffle on. No, it's been brilliant. It's so interesting. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our first Alternative London podcast. There's a load more on whatever platform you get your podcast from so go and have a little listen give us a comment on our instagram post about this episode to tell us what you think and don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars on whatever platform you get your podcast from there's more info about chrissy and the work of the east end trades guild and all the other brilliant stuff that she's doing around the east end of london on the link in the description this was the alternative london podcast with me gary means big shout out to Stu ballingall for music and editing and to the glass house for the studio space see you next time Thank <laughs> you.